0: You're listening to the Makers and Mystics Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 3, Episode 6, The Year in Review. In this episode, I'm going to share highlights from some of my favorite moments on the podcast of 2017. The segments I've chosen for this episode intentionally revolve around two distinct aspects of the creative process. One is the artist's work in the world around us and how our contributions impact the cultures we live in. And the second is that interior landscape, that process of transformation we're all in, wrestling through the tensions of our own creative journeys. And so as you listen to this episode, I invite you to approach it as a meditation, reflecting on where you've come from this year, as well as seeing it as a launching pad into what's ahead for us in 2018. This first segment I'm gonna share with you comes from season two, episode four, my conversation with author Brian Zond. And I wanna start with this segment because the insights that he shares on truth, goodness, and beauty not only help us understand where we've come from, but they paint a clear picture of our way forward as artists seeking to understand the relationship between art and faith.
1: Well, where to start? Let's start with the Greek philosophers. The Greek philosophers spoke of three prime virtues, the true, the good, and the beautiful. As virtues, they are not utilitarian. They are not utilities. They are not a means to an end. They are the end in themselves. So they need no further justification. So we would say we want the true because it's true. We want the good because it's good. We want the beautiful because it is beautiful. It needs no other justification. It's not a utility that serves some other end. Later, the church fathers would identify what the Greek philosophers had called these prime virtues as attributes of God, and I think their instinct was correct. Now here we are 2,000 years into the history of Christianity, and we have a long history of what we would call Christian apologetics. This is a Christian defense of truth as understood through Christ. We also have a long history of Christian ethics. This would be the good as defined in light of Christ. Christian aesthetics though uh, has had a mixed history. I think there've been times when the church has been good at it, or at least better than others. But I think in modernity, We've arrived at a place where we have, with the wider culture, pretty much dismissed beauty as a prime virtue. We tend to think of it as mere adornment. But here's our situation, Stephen, that we're in right now in the uh, modern, post-Christian, secular West, which is not the whole world. I understand that, but it's my context. We live in a world and in a time an age that is deeply suspicious of christian claims to ultimate truth i'm not forfeiting that claim i i, I think we have that claim but i'm just i'm just acknowledging that which is the case that the wider culture is pretty deeply suspicious of that and even maybe more so any christian claim to a superior ethic and so we have this great history of christian apologetics and ethics, but I don't think they help us much right now. I'm not saying they're illegitimate. I just don't think as far as gaining a wider audience uh, in our secular age, they do as much good. I think they're pretty much dismissed out of hand. But that does leave beauty. And so so what I would argue for, and I know we're speaking a little bit in abstract terms here, but I would argue for a return or recovery or an emphasis on Christian aesthetics. That is, uh, Christianity understood through the lens of beauty. It's not enough to ask, is it true? Is it good? We must, we must, we must ask the third question, is it beautiful? And we don't get to say whether it's beautiful. That's left to the common person. Would the common person say, yeah, that, that, that's beautiful. And so I think, especially in the North American context, uh, the church, for various reasons, has felt threatened, has felt intimidated, has, has, has felt like it's losing power and control and all of these sorts of things. And, it, and we've lashed out and presented to our neighbors the wagging finger, the furrowed brow, the clenched fists of protest. And I think all of that's ugly and people recognize it as such. And so we need to ask ourselves is our posture, is what we're doing, our programs, our sermons, our presence in the community, is it compatible? Does it conform to the cruciform? Is it like Christ upon the cross, arms outstretched and proffered embrace, praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do?
0: This next excerpt I'm gonna play for you comes from season three, episode two, in my conversation with author Christine Paintner. I've always had this sense that beauty and justice are intimately related. And so I asked Christine, she has a passage in her book where she talks about being committed to radical justice. And so I asked her, how does a commitment to justice play out in the life of an artist. And this is what Christine had to say.
2: Well, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, one is, well, certainly that line from Dostoevsky about beauty will save the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know that it's certainly saved my own life and many times just in, in the sense of, I guess part of my commitment as an, an artist is to hold the tension between a world that is both full of terrible, horrible, heartbreaking, sorrowful, tragic things that happen every day. And also the really, the vibrant reality that life is also full of tremendous grace and beauty and moments of outpouring of love and, and all of that. And so I think for me as an artist, it's important to hold that tension and not fall into the cynicism that where it disregards the really the impact of beauty, um, but also not ter- falls into like a Pollyanna mode where life is all <laughs> beauty uh-huh. all the time, because obviously that's not true. We're really called to be these co-creators of beauty and love and justice in the world, and and that we're we're each called to bring a a unique offering in that regard you know like it's planted in us by the divine at birth and so part of our roles as artists is essentially to kind of remind people of like hope and and love and you know that love sort of does have the final say and so i think these practices monastic practices help us remind us you know of what is actually there present in the world at work that we can help bring forth through art and through relationship and through hospitality and mm-hmm. all of those things mm-hmm. yeah
0: This next excerpt comes from my recent conversation with Australian actress Anna McGann. And I love this portion of our conversation because it deals with faith and art working together in the marketplace. And it also deals with how faith transformed her own interior process.
3: There was one job where I met another Christian on that set and we, made a decision to pray together at lunchtime every day. And the Holy Spirit moved on that set in a way that to this day yeah. is unprecedented in what even what I have seen on sets. Yeah. Incredible moves of God. And yeah. still to this day, I've had people who've watched that show. It was a show called Anzac Girls. It was about yeah. World War One. Watch that show and Christians especially go, what is, there's a spirit on that. And whatever it is that happened on that set, Came through, and I couldn't believe it. Like I didn't—I I was amazed that God worked like that yeah. on such a large scale. That yeah. if you go to that secret place, yes, it not just say—it's not just that prayer of Lord, um, can you help me with this take? Can you make sure I nail it? Um, yeah. Can I? Can I access the emotions? I think I got past that mm-hmm. because he—he he entered into my process by that yeah. stage. But I think simultaneous to that whole revelation that he would. The kingdom would come yeah. through this industry. He he started to heal the process I had learned at acting school, which was very it was very much a destructive, chaotic process, which mm-hmm. was the more pain I have, the more I keep my wounds open and alive, the better actor I can be, because the more wow. I can access, you know, my craft and who I am. Yeah. And he retrained me wow. to use imagination and he retrained me to use wholeness.
0: That's so good. And
3: healing. And at first I think my craft went down. I think mm. you'd look at my work and say, oh, she wasn't as brave, yeah. she wasn't as crazy, she yeah. wasn't as out there. But then as I grew more, co- I'm, a- I'm comfortable with the idea that my work dropped. I think it had to. But then as I got more used to that process of wholeness mm. and coming from a place of imagination and yeah. completion and yeah. joy and hope, I think my work then actually started to grow. And now, I feel this integration that I mm-hmm. never thought could happen. Mm-hmm. The process of that in mm-hmm. my life has looked like me realizing that I'm I'm not going to be the best.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: In fact, I might not even be that good but if i have that invitation mm-hmm. to do it i don't have any shame anymore in going up there and being in process and just being okay at it mm-hmm. or being um or working it out i used to just struggle so much with watching myself on screen just criticizing it going well, why aren't you at this mm. level why aren't you like that actor why aren't you more beautiful why aren't you this this this? this? Yeah. and the self-hate and the criticism and this mm. desperation to be perfect and to be the best because only if you're the best can you continue getting work and if you're the best then you'll get the approval and then, then you're al- – exactly, then yeah. you're approved of and you're allowed to be there. But now I'm just here <laughs> uh-huh. and there's this there's this freedom yeah. in it where it, it's it's okay. It's okay if you don't win the award. It's yeah. okay if you don't even yeah. get a – Nobody even notices you there. Mm-hmm. It's the, the fact of the matter is, and I've had to learn this too, is that even in the worst performances of my life, there's usually one person, even if most people hate it, there's one person that goes, hey, I, I connected.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it
3: mattered to me. And having to just accept the simplicity of... God would do it for the one. Mm-hmm. And why can't I do it for the one? Come on, Just yeah. be like, one person yes. responded and God would put me through yeah. every year of my training yeah. and every audition and every inkling and rehearsal of that. Yeah. And I am go, that's not fair. I want to do it for millions. But right. that's, he would, I have to take on that responsibility to go, he'd put me through it all. Just so that one person oh, so as a little,
0: this next segment comes from my conversation with author Josh Reebok on the role of honesty in artistry.
4: For me, a lot of the process of getting to honesty—I mean, I mean. One, I mean there's, there's a lot of facets, but the one that immediately comes to mind is honesty can't happen without awareness, right? We mm-hmm. I mean, Typically, sometimes when we feel like someone is maybe lying or hiding something, they're mm-hmm. doing so unintentionally. They don't even know what to be honest about. Mm-hmm. And so part of what I have had to develop as a discipline is that sense of contemplation, that sense of quiet, that sense of meditation, so I can confront these things before I can even decide whether I'm brave enough to share them. Right, right. And that that for me is is more frightening than than sharing stuff. Mm-hmm. It's coming face to face with it myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Is going wow, I I don't like this person. Wow, I'm angry at this individual in my life. Wow, I completely despise. Um, all the previous iterations of who I've been and what do I do with that? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when I find that sort of vacuum of honesty, I I don't necessarily find it to be an intentional choice by somebody or myself, but it's it's unintentional because I haven't done the work to become aware.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really good. So when you talk about cultivating honesty, it really begins in contemplation and awareness.
4: I mean, for me, it does. And we all, I, I suppose, you know, none of this is... Groundbreaking, but it requires me to have relationships that, as best we can, are really, really void of pretense. Mm-hmm. And I have a few of those people in my life, and without them, I feel like I become so untethered so quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So I need people in my life who are bold enough as friends mm-hmm. to take me there when I'm not willing to go. Yeah, and then my job. To do the work that that stuff tills up and hopefully to do the work to engage those conversations when they occur. But I don't know, man, I've, I've heard it said, you know, they, they say poetry is like honesty and people don't like honesty.
0: This next piece comes from my conversation with singer songwriter Josh Girals on integrity in the pursuit of our art as vocation.
5: Something I've said for years is, you know, that phrase, don't despise the day of small things, that, Mm -hmm. oh, man. Especially when you're beginning, if you're putting out your first release or you're entering into something with fear and trepidation, um, sometimes I think we want the fast growth because, one, the money's there. We don't have to worry about the money. The validation is there. This was successful people are applauding it. And it feels like instant like, um, yeah, affirmation, I made the right choice. Mom and dad don't need to worry. Like I'm gonna provide for my family. And those are, those are noble aspirations, to provide for your family and to have your work um, gain traction. Those aren't wrong motivations, but I think we need to allow a thing to be small in the beginning. And if you want this thing to be sustainable, like you need to go about it sustainably, which means building, Mm -hmm. there will be a period where you have to be hungry. And what I mean by that is like saying yes to opportunities, even if they're not high paying, even if they're not um, being trumpeted on like publications. And there's a time when you say yes, If, if this is something you feel you're supposed to do You need to be a little bit hungry on the front end you know there's that Mm -hmm. proverb to him who's hungry even what's bitter tastes sweet if 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 you're entering into music um with all your heart but saying no to opportunities because you're holding out for like the big festival or Mm -hmm. the label to sign you you might need to reassess like your motives, even with the art itself. Are you using the art as a vehicle simply to like grow your name or influence? Is that, is that what mm-hmm. it is? Or do you care about making the work, you know? Cause if right. I think if one really cares about the work, you'll, you'll be like, man, like stoked that someone, anyone is asking you to come share that work. And yeah. my own experience is I, I shared my work with fear and trepidation as a, new believer up until that time i'd done nothing but east coast monotone hip-hop for like four or five years and all of a sudden i like believed in this god and was singing songs in falsetto you know and mm-hmm. so i was like scared yeah. to share it and i shared at one funky little christian cafe at ball state university in muncie indiana from mm-hmm. my roommates prodding and little opportunity after little opportunity came from that one decision to share my work mm. And I can honestly say, like, opportunity has all sprung forth from this strange network of saying yes to things. Um, I am at a point now where I have to choose what I say yes to. Um, That's in some ways unfortunate, but in some ways it goes with the territory. Like, Mm -hmm. it's grown to a point where I actually have to put things on the scale. What do I have time for? What do I not have time for? What do I sense purpose in? What do I not sense purpose in? And choose accordingly. But early on in the day of small things, there's a sense of like, I don't want to say this insultfully, but like beggars shouldn't be choosers. There's a sense in which like, treat yourself as a beggar. That sounds horrible, but like treat yourself (laughs) as like, man, I'm entering into this as a beggar. Like no one... No artist should be entitled to have listenership, you know? People Mm -hmm. try to pay for listenership through publicity and through yada, 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 and labels will do that for you. But like, are people asking to hear or see what you're doing? That's Mm -hmm. a good signifier. Is there Mm -hmm. actual interest? Or are you trying Mm -hmm. to like push your stuff out there, pay for your stuff to be heard, get it in the right places, get your foot in the door, quote, unquote. Because if that's the way you're starting, that's the way you'll have to continue. Mm And it's not, that's actually not sustainable to like force Mm -hmm. your foot in the door continually. Eventually someone's gonna slam the door in your face and say like, you're not allowed in here. Let yourself be called up, put yourself at the, at the poor place in the feast, like the Lord said. That's been a, so this right here, this has been the defining parable of my life. When you come into a feast, sit in the least noble place and let the master of the feast say, what are you doing down there? Come up here. He says, so don't put yourself in the place of honor because you'll be demoted in front of everyone. When the master of the feast comes in and says, hey, that's not your seat, go back down there. Wow. And then you wow. go down there shamefully, you know, like yeah. put yourself in a lowly place. Yeah and you will be called up. If this is in mm-hmm. fact what you're meant to be doing, I guarantee yeah. you, if it's what you're meant to be doing, you'll be called up. If it's mm-hmm. not what you're meant to be doing, you'll know. Yeah. You'll know because it's like the unction to make the work won't be there after you realize it's not connecting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, I've had those things in my life that I really want, that I'm manipulating, that I'm pushing, that I'm funding. I'm trying to make this thing happen and I realize like, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. Like it's frustrating to me yeah. and doesn't seem to be connecting in any worthwhile way out there. And I put it to rest. <laughs> like my skateboarding wow. career was essentially that, you know? As a, <laughs> but I've had other, like, other things in my adult life, you know? Yeah. But man, like create the work. And when someone says, hey, come up here, like at that point, go up, you know? Yeah. And I guarantee Some you, day. if you follow that route, when you're called up, you'll have the strength to carry the responsibility. If you put yourself in a place of authority, responsibility, influence, earning, and you were the one who got yourself there, you will buckle into the pressure and you will be another um, casualty of the American entertainment system. I went the ways the wayward ways, In a world of trouble and sin Walked along in crooked mine Behind a million rank and five
0: This next segment is from my conversation with Ken Helser on journaling as a spiritual discipline. Tell me about how journaling the voice of God impacted your journey in going from who you thought you were to who he says you are.
6: Well, you cannot hear the voice of God without transformation. I mean, there's something about the very voice of God from the very beginning when he said, let there be light. And now we find out that this, the universe is still going. When he said, let there be light, it's, it's not ended. Mm-hmm. We're constantly finding new galaxies. And we're going, wow, it's not stopped. That's how powerful the voice is. It's all made from him speaking. Mm-hmm. And so when I learned journaling from Mickey Evans' old cowboy and Dunklin Memorial Camp, which is down in the swamps of Okeechobee, that uh, 50-some years ago, Mickey started an addiction ministry because the Lord told him uh, addiction is going to be the number one problem in the world. Mm. And he was working with these men. And uh, he learned that if each man would sit down daily, God speak to them Mm -hmm. that they would hear the root of what calls let let me just, someone asked me this question somebody I was mentoring online in Australia and it was a great question if God puts our sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more then why is he always bringing up the past (laughs) and I thought that's a great question Mm -hmm. and I I journaled that. I said, Lord, this is a simple question. And the Lord said, I'm not bringing up the sin of the past. I'm bringing up what cost it so you can get free from it mm, and good. not have to live into the bondage of that. I am always about from glory to glory, from freedom to freedom. Yeah. For whom the sun sets free. And freedom comes from truth. Mm. From the truth being, well, this is the reason I responded that way. And if you really want to know what's going on in your heart, just look at your attitude. Yeah. You know, when my wife says something, says, hey, don't put that mayonnaise jar there. Put it. <laughs> and I say, you know what? You own the kitchen. I don't own the kitchen. You're the queen. It's your kitchen. It's your refrigerator. I don't know why I was in here helping you in the first place. And I storm out of the house. And I just am mad. and I'm angry. And it's the first day of vacation. And I realize I'm blowing it, man. <laughs> why did I act like that? Journalist. God, I confess to you that I made a mess, and I got a whole week of vacation with my honey, and I have already messed up. Mm -hmm. Why in the world did I respond over a mayonnaise jar to hurt her the way I did? Mm -hmm. And the voice of the Lord journaling is, you ask him your most heartfelt question, but then you let him respond to you. And the Lord answered and said, it's because you did not hear Linda, you heard your mother. As I heard my mother, he said, yes, you heard that voice of perfection all your life because you never, ever pleased your mother because she was a perfectionist. Whatever you did, she never really approved of. Now, my mother's gone now, mm-hmm. and it's forgiven, and I'm healed, mm-hmm. but memory, the enemy comes in through voices of our past and uses other people's voices. Mm-hmm. To communicate things because he knows he's going to touch that button of hurt, and mm-hmm. that rejection place. Mm-hmm. And so journaling is writing the most honest heartfelt prayers and then allowing God to speak. Mm-hmm. And anytime God speaks, it's truth mm-hmm. and love. Mm-hmm. So that's where journaling for the last 20 some years has been the most powerful thing.
0: This last excerpt is from our season three opening episode with Jason Upton. I was about 16 when
7: I met a, a guy named Robert Stamps. Robert Stamps was, he married a lady named Ellen Stamps. And Ellen is in a lot of the books with Corey Timboom. Mm. And uh, they were in Minneapolis at this United Methodist Church in the inner city of Minneapolis. And, and he walks up to me and he says, Hey, have you ever been mentored? Mm. And I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. I mentored, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he said, uh, because if you'd like to be mentored, I'd meet you at Kieran's it's Irish Family Restaurant in Minneapolis. I'll meet you there on Tuesday at 6 a.m. Hmm. So on my way out to school, I would stop at Kieran's Family Restaurant, meet with him at 6 to 6.45 and on Tuesdays. And that was my mentoring. And he was the first person, he introduced me at that time to... Uh, the likes of Henry Now mm-hmm. and people like that, and got me reading these kind of guys. Yeah. I'm 16, 17 years old, yeah. and uh, and he was the first person that said, you know, you. He didn't say that I was a poet. What he said to me was that you you think like a poet, mm-hmm. you speak like a poet, you you interact with the world like a poet, yeah. and, um, and so start writing, start reading, start praying, and. And allow your imagination to kind yeah. of run wild a little bit yeah. and that was sort of the introduction that i had to what i would say songwriting and, mm-hmm. and um and they were um big influencers for me
0: wow wow
7: and the more i read the likes of Nowin or um i mean even i remember reading even people you know a lot of people would know like oswald chambers or right something first time I read the Sermon on the Mount Oswald Chamber you know, something it, it it was it was strange because I, I I um I didn't necessarily always understand yeah what um at 16 and 17 what they were talking about mm-hmm. but I was comforted by their way mm-hmm. it was the form of it that I just got it mm-hmm. it was like wow I I follow these kind of guys and yeah the fact that they existed comforted me Mm-hmm. And it was like you're not. Yeah. Your, your way you think isn't out there. It's. Yeah. And uh, I remember it wasn't until later on that I realized that the the reward of the linear thinker is understanding.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: Because even when you're in the developmental stage of being a linear thinker, you you have short lines or you have long lines. But for me, when you're in the developmental stage, man, it takes really special people like. Mm-hmm you know, to come in and care for you in that process of development yeah. because you don't have short lines or long lines when you're when you're a poetic thinker because you think in circles. Yeah. And so what happens is when you're in the developmental stage, you kind of get out here and you, yeah. and you don't make it back home, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, yeah. and, and, and uh, so the reward of the linear thinker is understanding because even if you have a short line, it's still a completed thought, right? But the, but the reward
0: eventually of the circular thinker is mystery. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram. And consider joining our online community at patreon.com forward slash Mystics. We'll see you in the new year, friends.
3: If I would just open up my mouth. the room is spinning overtired and overwhelming one thing seems to fall into the next